While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay our hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who has suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to himself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Hi, my name is Willie. I want to welcome you to Willingdon Online. I have a question for you. Why are you here? What are you looking for? Are you looking to discover who Jesus is, perhaps? Or do you have a difficult situation or a health condition that you're dealing with and you're looking for hope? If Jesus prompts you to make a decision to give your situation or your life to him today, are you willing? Or do you want to stay where you are? Is that more comfortable for you? You know, years ago, I came across a simple story of a farmer who liked to sit on his porch with his old hound dog as his constant companion. One day, a friend stopped by for a chat, but their conversation was constantly interrupted by the sounds coming from the old dog. The dog was moaning and complaining and groaning. Finally, the visitor asked the farmer, what is wrong with your dog? Why is he making such a racket? Oh, said the farmer, he's lying on a nail but it doesn't hurt enough for him to move. I know, dad joke. But the point is clear. Have you had moments in your life where you're sitting on a nail that became too uncomfortable or moments that created a profound sense of desperation? I've had a few desperate moments in my life. Moments that I sense my future, my very soul at times, hung in the balance of the decisions that I was about to make. One of those was September 1979. I'm driving down Portage Avenue in Winnipeg late one night, returning home from a party. I was enrolled in university, working part-time, and focused on my future, a future without consideration of God or his plans for me. I felt good about myself. I was starting a new season of life, just out of high school, greater independence, and driving my nice Camaro. As I was driving, I had an experience that I'd never had before. It was like God poked into my mind and whispered, Either you choose to follow me now, or you will be away from me for many, many years. Now, I didn't believe in supernatural interruptions at that time in my life, but this was so real, it literally terrified me. I arrived home shaken. A few months earlier, I had considered going to Bible school in Colorado, but had dropped the idea. I called the school the next day to see if it would accept my late entry. Uh, They said yes. So I withdrew from university, quit my job, put my car in storage, packed my bags, and got on a plane the next day. For the next six weeks that I was in Colorado, I thought it was the dumbest decision that I had ever made. Then I met Jesus. Now, I'd like to say all my problems went away. They didn't. But my life was changed forever. Now, most of us will not step out of our comfort zone unless staying where we are becomes too uncomfortable, too frustrating, or too painful. Most of us will not get off of our nail until the nail creates too much pain to stay where we are. 
Now, that pain can be physical, it can be emotional, or it can be philosophical or even existential. We want to hang on to our security blankets with one hand and reach out to Jesus with the other hand. The problem is, that doesn't work. Often we want God to help us while simultaneously hanging on to the past. But what we're hanging on to will prevent us from touching and reach or reaching Jesus. We have to let go. Do you hurt enough to move today? In today's text, we read the stories of two people who have become too uncomfortable to stay where they are. We pick up the story in Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, where it says, While he, meaning Jesus, was saying these things to them, a synagogue ruler came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come, lay your hand on her, and she will live. Now, the, book, the authors Mark and Luke tell us that the man's name was Jairus, an official of the synagogue. Now, Jairus, because of that, would have been well-known. He was an important person in the community as he held, that was held together by rituals of religion. He was one of several rulers over the synagogue who led the pu- in public acts of worship. As ruler of the synagogue, Jairus was responsible for the administration of the synagogue. He would have looked after the building, supervised worship, ran the school on weekdays, and found rabbis to teach on the Sabbath. Now, not only was he in charge of the synagogue, but he would also settle civic disputes within the neighborhood. Synagogue rulers like Jairus had power and influence. Yet Jairus was willing to risk it all and come to Jesus because death had marked his family. Now, why step out when others like him remain silent? We know that the other leaders were afraid the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. They would lose their place in society. Why risk his position, probably his livelihood, and his standing in the religious community? Jairus had exhausted all efforts to heal his daughter. He was out of options. He had heard and maybe even witnessed Jesus' miraculous ministry. Jesus' healing of the paralyzed man. Jesus calming the storms. Jesus' authority over demons. The nail of death drove Jairus to the one he hoped was greater than death. Now, have you ever been desperate? Have you ever laid down everything you're concerned with, afraid of, worried about, and come to Jesus and simply worshipped him like Jairus did? Jairus isn't coming to Jesus to ask for a favor. He didn't approach Jesus through a mutual acquaintance to keep things on the down low, to not impact his role in the, in the synagogue. Jairus came up to Jesus and began with worship, with humility, and with honor of the one he was approaching. Jairus took the road of no return. No matter whether Jesus answered his plea for help, Jairus had played his cards. He was all in, on his knees, before Jesus the Messiah in front of everyone. Now, Matthew tells us that when Jairus came to Jesus, his daughter had already died. But Jairus came nonetheless. He thought that with Jesus, there was still hope. Jesus' response was simple, swift, and straightforward. Verse 19 tells us that Jesus rose and followed Jairus with his disciples. Jesus didn't ask questions. He didn't diagnose the situation. He simply got up and followed Jairus. But Jesus and Jairus had a surprise coming. Would you interrupt someone on the way to care for a family whose daughter has just passed away? Probably not, unless you're desperate. Listen to what happened next in Matthew 9.20. A woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up to him and touched the fringe of Jesus' garment. For she said to herself, If I can only touch his garment, I will be made well. The gospel writer Mark sheds more light on her story. In Mark chapter 5, It tells us that the woman had suffered much under many physicians 
and she had spent all the money she had to get help. But she, she was no better, but rather grew worse. From the Jewish point of view, this woman could not have suffered from any more terrible or humiliating disease than an issue of blood. It was a problem that was common in Palestine. The Talmud sets out no fewer than 11 different cures. Some of them were tonics and lotions that may have been effective. Others were merely superstitious remedies. One was to carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in summer and in a cotton bag in winter. Another was to carry about a barley corn found in the dung of a white female donkey. I'm not making this up. The horror of the disease was that it rendered the sufferer unclean. And the law laid down in Leviticus the implications. If a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during that time will be unclean. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. You get that? Everything and everyone she touched was infected by that that uncleanness. She was absolutely shut off from the worship of God and from the fellowship of other people. She should not even have been in the crowd surrounding Jesus because she could have infected, she would have infected everyone she touched with her uncleanness. There's little wonder that she was desperately eager to try anything that might rescue her from her life of isolation and humiliation. You need to let your desperation give rise to courage, which is what she did. She had tried all the doctors and their various cures to the point that she was financially ruined. She was broke, chronically ill, and religiously and socially isolated. She was desperate. But in desperation, she pushed through the crowd, the the unclean touching the clean. She pushed through her fears. She pushed through the comments of those who who knew she was unclean. She pushed through the possibility of another failed attempt at finding healing. She had to find out if what she had heard about Jesus would be true for her. Mark 5.27 tells us that she had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Now, where did she get the idea that touching Jesus' garment would heal her? Now, the bottom corners of Jesus' garment would have had tassels sewn uh, into into the garment, keeping with God's instructions to Moses, back in the Old Testament, book of Numbers, chapter 15. The Lord said to Moses there, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you'll remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by going after the lusts of your own heart and eyes. The tassels represented the 613 commandments of Jewish law. Now, in the original language, the word corner was also translated wings. Therefore, the corners of the prayer shawl or or garment were often referred to as wings of a garment. Even today, a Jewish man will cover himself, uh, will cover his head with a shawl when they pray. It speaks of being under God's law and God's protection. Now, fast forward to the book of Malachi, the last prophet to write before Jesus came. Now, listen to the last words of his prophecy where he writes about the coming Messiah, whom we know to be Jesus. 
Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 say, Surely the day is coming, but for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall, obviously excited. Now, based on that prophecy, a belief developed in first century Judaism that the corner tassels of the Messiah's garment would have healing powers. Malachi 4.2 was a messianic prophecy that the Messiah would heal. And healing powers would be in the tassels. Why did she reach out for that corner tassel of Jesus' garment? Why did she say to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well? Because she knew what God said through the prophet Malachi. She believed that Jesus is the Messiah. She believed what God had already said, that the Messiah would save and would have healing in his wings or garment tassels. What happened when she touched Jesus' garment? Matthew 9, 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. She was right. Her faith risk step was rewarded. She was healed and she was the first of many. Mark 6, 56 tells us that as many as touched Jesus' garment were made well. With her faith rewarded from her embarrassing condition, she now hoped to sort of slide away unnoticed, but Jesus wouldn't let her. Why? Because he had more healing in mind for her, for the crowd, and really for Jairus. Mark 5.30 says, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples looked at him and said, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. Jesus perceived that power had gone out from him. He could have ignored it and continued with his mission of compassion with Jairus, but Jesus was attentive to his immediate surroundings. He had something to say, something to do for one who was so desperate. See, he was on God's timetable, not Jairus' timetable or anyone else's. Here's a side note for us. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he was always attentive to the people around him. He was always attentive to what his father was doing and joined his father in his father's business. Jesus models for his disciples and us a peaceful presence, living and ministering in step with his father. Friends, God's invitation to us is to be present with the person in front of us, to be listening for the Holy Spirit's whisper, to bring God's non-anxious presence, God's living hope, God's healing peace to the people God places in our lives. Don't rush off to the next thing. Be present with the one God has led you to. The greatest thing you can do is to introduce people to Jesus in today's fear-induced, isolated climate, to invite people into a physically distanced, in a physically distanced way, to eat together, have coffee, building friendship. This text is pregnant with beauty and wonder of Jesus and his attitude towards the hurting and the helpless. The woman reached out to Jesus in desperation, and now having found what she was looking for, fears what might come of her audacious act. Verse 33 says, But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. Jesus meets our fear with his love, and he does that for the woman. It seems that the woman was expecting to be chastised for her audacious, even sacrilegious act. She had reached out to the Holy One of God with her unholy, unclean hand. What would he say to her? Now listen to his loving words in verse 34. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Daughter, what a beautiful term of love and identity. No scolding. 
Simple validation as a child of God. He applauded her faith. He affirmed her presence. He said, go in peace and declared that she was clean and healed. He did for her what she could not do for herself, bring physical healing and social restoration. Making her act of faith public didn't bring humiliation. It brought freedom. That's what Jesus does when we reach out to him for healing in the things that we are trying to hide from everyone else. Now, some of us come for physical healing, but most of us need the healing on a much deeper level. Healing from our sin, from our shame, from the fears that imprison us. Healing from our past, our failures, and from the, from the lies that we believe about God and about ourselves. We often try to be safe in our secrecy, but in reality, we're only creating a prison for ourselves. Jesus brings healing when we are desperate enough to reach out to him, to touch the hem of his garment. Now, while this is going on, Jairus is waiting. We're not told how he's waiting. I would be waiting impatiently if it were me. Now, perhaps Jairus or Jesus is doing Jairus a favor by stopping for this apparent interruption. Jesus never does things by accident. There is purpose in all that he does. And now the story shifts to Jairus' home. Now, Jesus arrives to find uh, the formal mourning uh, process for Jairus' daughter in full expression. Matthew 9, 23 and 24 describes a scene. It says, And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said to them, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. So when Jesus entered Jairus' home, he saw the professional mourners, flute players, and others paid to mourn loudly for the deceased, as was the custom of the day. Jesus spoke to the mourners as though they were not necessary because he knew what was going to happen. The professional mourners laughed at and mocked Jesus. You know, so often whenever Jesus wants to do work in our situation, there will be mockers. There will be people saying, oh, it's not going to happen. The Lord's not going to help you. And he doesn't care anything about you. These little voices inside of us, the voices of unbelief, the demonic voices, or even the voices of well-meaning friends saying, grow up, don't expect God to work in your life. Jesus took only those who had stepped out in faith, Jairus, his wife, and those he wanted to train, Peter, James, and John, into the house. Then Jesus took action. Uh, Matthew 9, 25, uh, Matthew says, rather matter-of-factly, but when the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl rose. There's something here that we need to notice. Jesus took the girl's hand. Now, Jewish law said, don't touch the unclean, don't touch the sick, and especially do not touch the dead. Jesus touched the unclean and made them clean. He touched the sick and he healed their diseases. He touched the dead and gave them new life. Jesus was not defiled by what he touched because he was the bearer of new life, of the life of his kingdom that he brought to our world. Jesus had made a habit of intentionally touching the religiously untouchable, the lepers, the unclean, the dead, people whose very touch would exclude them from God's presence in the synagogue, but not from God's kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, what comes from outside of a person cannot defile them. Matthew and Mark repeatedly make this point. Mark 7.15 says, There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. This is true because what comes from inside of us, what comes out of us, shows our true beliefs, our values, and our allegiances, our priorities. What comes out of Jesus? Healing, new life, hope, 
inclusion in God's family, and a new kingdom reality. Jesus invites us to pass on to others what he has given to us. And Matthew concludes with the understated reality when he says in verse 26, and the report of this went through all that district. No kidding. This miracle serves as a climax of Matthew 8 and 9. None of the enemies Jesus conquered so far in these two chapters, illness, demons, nature, had been as formidable as death. It was no wonder that news of this miracle spread through all the region. The joy spread as people encountered Jesus. Here's the point. The new life Jesus gives us is not just for us. It's a gift that we pass on. Can you imagine this woman or Jairus staying silent after their encounter with Jesus? Let's fast forward to today. In our COVID climate, touch is radical. We're told to be afraid of people, to avoid people, to isolate. I see many people trying to increase their their control of life in this unstable season. We try to manage our circumstances. We medicate these, our anxiety. We vaccinate for medical control and rationalize our approach to life all in the attempt to maintain control. No matter how hard we try, no matter which guidelines are put in place, it's clear that we cannot control our circumstances or this virus. As Christ followers, we are called to live wisely, but we are not to live in fear. Jesus is our King. Our future is secure in Him, whether or not we catch COVID. Let your desperation, your anxiety, and your concerns, or your challenges, let it all lead you to Jesus. When you experience Jesus, then point others to him. Let the message of hope flow to you and through you to others, just like it did to and through Jairus and the woman. Jesus' followers live with hope because we know Jesus, and this world desperately needs hope. When God's people live God's way, word travels. Now, I experienced this most profoundly and personally on a missions trip I was on. I served with a mission agency in backcountry Mozambique, where the village witch doctor provided the only medical services for the community. The villagers had one simple question. Who is more powerful for our healing, the witch doctor or Jesus? At one of the villages we visited, I arrived uh, in the mission's Land Rover, so the villagers recognized it. I stepped out of the vehicle, went to warm myself by the fire. As soon as I got to the fire, a mother with a sick child came over and placed the child in my arms. It quickly became apparent that she wanted prayer for healing as the baby was suffering from a high fever. As soon as I prayed for the child, a line started to form with people who wanted healing for themselves or their children. Now, they didn't know me. They'd never seen me before, but they knew who I was with. And that mission had a reputation for God's work and miraculous healing. Word spread. And the people were desperate and knew that Jesus was more powerful than the witch doctor. So they lined up for prayer for healing. One more thing we need to know. We're all equal when we come to Jesus in our desperation. Now, it's interesting that Jairus and this woman, two opposite people, met at the feet of Jesus. Jairus was a leading Jewish man. The woman was this synonymous person with no prestige and even no resources. Jairus was a synagogue leader, while her affliction kept her from worship at the synagogue. Jairus came pleading for his daughter. The woman came with chronic illness. The girl had been healthy for 12 years and then died. The woman had been ill for 12 years and now was made whole. Jairus' need was made public. All knew it. The woman's need was private. Only Jesus knew. Both Jairus and the woman trusted Jesus and he met their needs. See, the beauty of this story is that regardless of how we look on the outside, we are all the same when we come to meet Jesus. We're all broken people in need of healing. 
healing of our sin, our shame, our fear, and our rebellion against Jesus. Let that desperation be a motivator for you to reach out to Jesus, to go to Jesus in worship, to submit your life to him. Don't let your desperation become a prison of your own making. Go to Jesus in your desperation today. Give him your life today. Give him your fears today. Give him your worries today and your anxieties today. And you can do that simply right now by praying with me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming as Messiah, as King, as Redeemer. Thank you for turning the world upside down and taking all of our brokenness and just embracing us with love and bringing healing to our hearts, to our bodies, to our lives, to our relationships. And Jesus, right now there are people listening to this message who are suffering in their brokenness, in their struggles. They're looking for hope. They're looking for healing, whether that's physical or relational. And I pray that each one would give their situation, their story, their challenge to you. And if that's you, simply pray this with me right now. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my pain. I give you my frustration. I give you my concerns. And I trust you with my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There will be some questions coming up on the screen for reflection. Take some time to process them. And again, if you prayed that prayer or if you want someone to pray with you, uh, press the connect button on the screen.